Hello, how are you guys doing out there in Geek Vibes Nation? This is another wonderful episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, presented by Geek Vibes Nation, actually. Awesome. Coincidental. I am your host, Dane Alves, as always, and we will break down the latest in news when it comes to wrestling this last week. Of course, I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Christopher Ray Patton. How are you doing, sir? Doing wonderful, man. Uh Excited as always to talk about some wrestling, especially over the weekend. We had some good stuff we take over in SummerSlam, so looking forward to getting into it. Nice little break from work, and uh, you know, as always, having a cold beer. How about you, Dane? How's things going? I'm doing good, man. Uh, I've actually been really wanting to. Uh, we haven't played video games or anything like that, so I've been wanting to talk to you more in depth about a lot of this stuff. Uh, I think this was. For someone that watched, you know, TakeOver, you know, SummerSlam, Raw, SmackDown, back-to-back-to-back, I think that uh, WWE had a pretty good uh, four-night event, and I think they had two good pay-per-views, and I'm looking forward to reviewing them. Um, But uh, I think let's start off with a little bit of news, uh, you know, before we go into that. Um, So the first item of news. Uh, that apparently Matt Hardy might be on his way out. Now, we talked about this last week a little bit, uh, but it's not official. He's just said in interviews, uh, I think one in particular, that, you know, his body's just getting to the point where he can't do it. Uh, The main culprit, uh, very similar to Hulk Hogan with his leg drop, but Matt Hardy, you know, over the years having to do that leg drop off the second or top rope, I forgot exactly how he does it. Uh, and just falling on his spine is kind of messing his back up. So apparently uh, a little bit on SummerSlam and on Raw, he was seen producing in the back. Now we know that when it comes to a production standpoint, I think that's one of Matt's, uh, you know, something that he achieved and, and got very good at later on, and also someone that's now producing the shows a little bit is Jeremy Borash, the guy that he worked with uh, to create the Ultimate Deletion for TNA, um, you know, which got so popular a couple of years back. Somehow WWE had no idea how to fucking do it. Anyways, um, but the question I'm presenting to you, uh, Chris, uh, it would be, it would, it would kind of, obviously, it would suck for Matt to leave. But if it's due to injury and that's, he's just listening to his doctors. He's got a family. I can understand that. I think I, I uh, brought this up to you a little bit, um, and I loved your answer. Uh, what would you like to see if Matt Matt said, you know, I want to do one more match? maybe at Mania or wherever, that he gets a chance to do it. I would assume, you know, Mania would be the stage. Um, who would you like to see for his opponent? And also, does it intrigue you to have an eye like Matt, you know, working, uh, producing possibly for the WWE? I think it's interesting uh, to think about Matt in a different role outside of wrestling because while he was in TNA, he was more of a producer role for what he was doing with the Hardys, which is kind of a niche thing. Um, but him working with Jeremy Borash, uh, as far as you know, a mind in the wrestling business, we're talking about someone who started in the late 80s, uh, kind of went through all of the different periods of wrestling, if you really think about it. I know he had some early you know, squash matches and stuff back in WWE and then kind of did the indies, uh, you know, in the early 90s and then, of course, made it back to WWF shortly after, like, the Attitude Era really took off and had all those great matches and stuff, obviously, with 3D and Edge and Christian. All the other tag teams that were thrown in there, New Age Outlaws, those guys. Um, So it's interesting to think about because he's kind of been through 
different generations of wrestling. He's won tag team titles everywhere. You know, he was the ECW heavyweight champion. He's been the TNA champion. His list of accomplishments, you know, points to the fact that he doesn't really need to do anymore as far as or achieve anything. Like, you know, he doesn't have anything to prove. Um, obviously, he has a wealth of wrestling knowledge. I don't think he would be a bad person to help produce. Uh, I think, if anything, he would be better than, say, like a road dog. But uh, it's interesting to think about. And, and I thought, like, you know, uh, the, I mean, I guess the big thing that's coming out of it is Rebby's interview this week, where she was specifically talking about Matt's contract expiring up in March uh, after him talking about his injuries and those kind of things. But it's she hasn't really said whether he's made his mind up on whether he wants to continue or not continue. As far as an opponent goes, what we were talking about, uh, when I was specifically talking about it, was more of Matt if Hart he's going to have one last uh, match. Yeah, if he's going to have one last match, I would like to see it be kind of like a contract versus contract match with uh, Jeff Hardy built into a real feud, a long period feud. I think that would be the match that I wanted, I would want to see him go out on, brother versus brother. Uh, I would have loved if they did that with, say, uh, Christian and Edge with uh, Edge's neck injury, they kind of took a play on that with him, you know, winning the title, Christian winning the title from Alberto Del Rio. Granted, they're not brothers. They were long-team tag partners. But I just think that would be the way to go out, putting Jeff Hardy over. If they had someone where Matt could really pull off a good heel version of broken Matt Hardy that they could build up against him, if they hadn't have just now started rebuilding Finn, um, or kind of waited on the Bray Wyatt stuff, I would lean towards that, because I think you could do some cool stuff storyline-wise there. But outside of that, I mean, I think it'd just be like a good farewell match for it to just be either one last Hardy's tag team match if they're both going to go, which I don't think they will. I think Jeff will probably stick around a little bit one and done. To me, WrestleMania, Hardy boys, do a contract match or something, put put a ladder there, let them go out with one last bang at WrestleMania in the ladder match. I think that's that's how I would book it. I think that's how I would book it, too. Um, I think that that would make a lot of sense. Uh, the only other person that just popped in my head, because I'm assuming that he'll probably be uh, taken from NXT uh, and put on the main. And I think that, Matt, especially if they built it up, I know this person likes to do video packages, too. Um, and I think it would be a good personality to go against Matt Hardy is uh, Velveteen Dream. And uh, if that could be one of his feuds uh, coming up to the main, I think Matt would be able to help him out a little bit. They could do most of it with packages, um, maybe even do one on the compound. And then WrestleMania, you know, obviously he would get the the win over him. I know that they don't – I know that people would be like, well, that's kind of weird. But if you think about it, you need a, a high-level personality. And like you said, you know, it's it's either got to be the Enigma or someone different. It can't be Finn Balor as the Demon – and it can't be obviously Bray Wyatt. Um, it just doesn't work out. I think that they could they could have a lot of fun chemistry together, going back and forth, and and I think that is a possibility. I don't see it happening. Um, I'm just worried that you know you, a lot of people are probably like you know for Velveteen Dream you'd expect them to put it at a higher level. I'm hoping Velveteen Dream, even though amongst all of his talent and for his age, they're not going to fucking just put him in a program with Ty Dillinger or some shit. So I think if you put him against someone like Matt Hardy, you elevate it, you really work on it. They have lots of promos. You build it up, and it's Matt Hardy's. If he if he loses, he, he retires. You know, Velveteen Dream kind of plays that. 
little bit between babyface and heel, and I think it could work out well. Um, I'm wondering, uh, for if we're going to go into this, and this kind of brings into me into a two-part question again, Chris. Um, do you think that instead of producing for WWE, you know, we, we see Lucha Underground and how they do their show. It's, it's more of a television show. Uh, I always described it as like um, basically Latino, like um, mythology-inspired, like Instead of more, it's like Mortal Kombat, if you will, but instead it's Latino mythology with Lucha Libre instead of martial arts. And the show is done a certain way. I feel like Jeff and Matt could make a show and have wrestling like they have done for the ultimate deletion, or maybe there isn't enough of that to actually do something. And I'm also wondering if he does have one last match, even if it's on WrestleMania, should it be that style? I, I think it would be very cool to see him in a situation where he does something like Lucha Underground or even goes back to the indie scene with a lighter schedule. If he does want to continue to wrestle, I don't necessarily think that WWE is the best spot for him. I think you know, him and Jeff had a, a, a great comeback. But as far as a producing role, something uh, like Lucha Underground would be great uh, to see just what he could do and what they could come up with as far as some interesting programs. And then obviously if he wanted to do that route, he could transition in and out of the ring a little bit more similar to what delirious did in ring of honor for a while. It's just crazy to think about, like he's been wrestling for almost 25 years and there's a lot of people that are his age. And he's like what, wrestlers. Three? Yeah, he's 43. So, I mean, you know, you have wrestlers out there that are, are around his age, but the wear and tear on his body and, and kind of how long he's been wrestling in itself is a little, you know, a little more crazy when you think about the fact that he's pretty much hit every company you can hit. He's won the majority of titles, and he's been wrestling since, like, 92. And that's, you know, very, very early early stuff where he was doing, you know, tapes for WCW and trying to get into the business. It's just the, the thought of Matt Hardy not being in wrestling in some form is crazy to me, but I also wouldn't have pulled anything against him if he just hung it up and was like, I'm going to go hang out with my kids and do that for a while. Yeah. And if I decide I want to come back to wrestling later, I, I would be completely okay with that. But I think him stepping into a producing role is great. They have so much talent right now in WWE. We were just talking about it last week with all the people they have at NXT. I think we're, uh, that may have been offline where we were talking about Daphne and William Regal and, uh, Steve Carino and all of these different guys that are there. Yeah. And and all all of that stuff is very exciting. And if they're moving towards more, you know, younger bookers and kind of getting away to, from having just a room full of writers, then I would be excited for him to be in WWE. If they're actually going to let him get his opinion across and some of his ideas across, I think that would be awesome. But like you said, if you went somewhere – like a Lucha Underground or, or even back to Impact in some form or Ring of Honor, I think his experience at a smaller roster. Why not, why not him and Jeff just start their own thing and shoot it all on the compound and kind of make their own roster and just cinematography, you know, or cinem cinematically, God, man, um, you know, have it displayed like they do the Ultimate Alicia, even. It would be cool. The biggest thing with that is having the, the resources behind it, the TV contracts and stuff behind it. Yeah. And then also, and you know, the compound itself is not really – yeah, and the compound itself, I guess if, if Matt Hardy plays a CEO, CEO character, 
you know, I guess that would build on to the fact that it's there, the kind of idea. But to me, that's almost going to be more work than him stepping into a producing role for WWE or yeah. Ring of Honor. Or, so it just depends on how much work he wants to take on. It'd be cool. Like, I would enjoy that. It's just one of those things where it's... I'm it's still, a very niche wrestling market. Yeah, and at some point, he could, I mean, if he wanted to, he could even go the route of doing something like Patreon, like some of the indie federations do, and then stream his pay-per-views live, and you pay to get the wrestling content weekly, or figure out some way to handle it. It's just, now you're worried about contracts, entering the building that you're wrestling in, film, you know, a professional film crew of some sort. You're putting money into something shit this year, like this, his age and everything in his career, if he's looking to step away from wrestling, he's probably looking to save money, not dump it into yeah. a uh, project. But it would be Absolutely. cool. I would, I would be down. Yeah, me too. I, I think it would be a very interesting idea. I, I just wonder, you know, just how much how much legs that would be able to have, um, obviously. But either way, whatever Matt Hardy does, I'm sure me and Chris are going to be very happy. And, uh, you know, uh, I would like to see him. If he is going to retire, I hope you – if he just wants to go off in the sunset, that's fine. But if you could have one last match, that would be cool to work up with. I'm sure he'll figure it out between now and then. But let's move on to the U.K. women's uh, title. They're having a little bit of a I, – I, I don't know exactly, Chris, if it's a tournament or if it's just like uh, – yeah, basically, yeah, they're going to they're gonna crown the uh, women's uh, championship this weekend with the tournament. Yeah. So I don't know what I'm talking about, but I will mention the ladies involved in it. Um, I, I I'm going to be honest with you guys. Uh, we want to cover everything, especially like them expanding now in the UK. But I don't know many of these wrestlers outside of Dakota Kai and Tony Storm. But I've heard really good things about certain ones. So we got Dakota Kai, uh, Zaya Brookside, Rhea Ripley, Tony Storm, Ginny, Isla Dawn. Nina Samuels and Millie McKenzie. So I, I lied. Actually, I know Rhea Ripley. Um, you know, it might be too obvious, Chris, but I feel like with what she's done, I mean, she almost beat Shanna Baszler, and she's been a badass with the last Mayon Classic. I think she's going to be, I believe she's going to be involved in this one too. Um, I feel like Tony Storm probably is going to get that belt. Am I wrong for thinking of that? No, I don't think so. And even in the, the ads that they're putting out there, she's front and center, so it kind of makes sense for them to put the title on her. She kind of has the most exposure, especially if they're planning on showing this in the U.S. market, if they're going to be streaming this thing on the network. It, it's going to make sense. But, you know, it, it it's almost strange to me that there, this is going to coincide a little bit with the May Young Classic, I guess, leading into Evolution. Is that how that's going to work out? Or is it going to be after? Because I'm assuming that they're – okay, so it's going to be before. And then they're showing, you know, because the May Young Classic, the finals, everything's already been taped, but the finals are happening at, what, Evolution? So, yes. I'm assuming that they're going to give some of these women wins, the ones that are in uh, the May Young tournament, which I think there's – I don't know how many are in the tournament, but I know there's a few – because to, uh, Tony Storm is in the actual May Young Classic this year, so I'm assuming you know they'll try to build them out of that tournament. But Tony Tony Storm is the biggest star as far as if you're going to be pitching this thing to a U.S. market, 
So it'll be interesting to see, but yeah, I would I would say that they probably put the belt on Tony Tony Storm. I'm wondering if they're going to do all right. So they have the NXT title, Chris. Obviously, uh, Chris, or Triple H is getting inspired by the NWA title. He wants the North American title to be North America's, his that brand for the NXT UK, and they'll keep on making them as they go. Well, they have the the women's NXT title, obviously, which Curry say now. Uh, is is the winner for that should be Chana Baszler. We'll get to that, obviously. Are they eventually going to make a women's U.S. title or a women's North American title, I guess, for NXT? Seems like they would have to. I just don't think they have enough female competitors to do that. That's very true. Without, And that's not taking away from the people that they do have there because I know they have you know five or six on the roster, but two championships between six people is a weird... It's almost like when people ask about or ask me the question about the, uh, a female tag division. When I'm just like, I don't. At some point, you're you're doing too much. You're spreading yourself too thin. A good example is WCW when they had, you know, the United States Championship, the Television Championship, the Cruiserweight Championship, and then the Heavyweight Title. But they had you know, a bunch of cruiserweights, and then they just threw the belts on random NWA guys, or NWO guys. <laughs> um, they did the same thing with the light heavyweight title, the intercontinental title, the hardcore title, the... <laughs> you get where I'm going, like late WWF did the same thing. If you have too many belts out there, they're... Yeah, they, they just don't mean anything. I agree with you. I'm just wondering, I mean, if they're going to... It seems like they would have to build the roster, obviously, but... If they're going to incorporate an NXT title being a travel, traveling champion, they should do the same thing with the, the, the women's division. But obviously, the, it, just like you said, I mean, there's not as many. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, more going to come. Um, I'm sure a lot of them will get signed with the Mae Young uh, Classic happening. Um, but we're, we're going to move on to our next news item. Uh, kind of something uh, good coming off of something tragic, I would suppose. We're going to get some uh, matches. Uh, for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. Uh, unfortunately, Hiromu Takahashi uh, suffered uh, a couple cracked uh, vertebrae in his neck um, when he was dropped on it from Dragon Lee. I forgot what the name of the move is. No one should friggin' do it. Kota Bushi's the only one who can pull it off, apparently. Um, but rolled him on his neck, breaking his neck. So uh, they were saying the like the soonest it would be a year, but we have no idea how long he's going to be out or if he's even going to come back because of how bad the injury is. Um, it's still unknown, but at least the healing process should be, he should be better within a year. It's just a horrible, horrible situation that happened. Um, and uh, from this, we have two matches basically that are going to lead to a finals um, on uh, September 23rd at uh, Kobe, the the Kobe show, Kushida is going to be going against Bushi. And then at the LA show on September 30th, Will Ospreay will be going against Marty Skrull. Oh, God, I hope they don't destroy each other. And the finals will happen on October 8th and Ryo Goku uh, to find out the new uh, IWGP junior heavyweight champion. Um, I don't, I guess Bushi's there because that was his teammate. But I have to admit, I think that he, it's kind of strange he's in it. And it's very strange that the bone soldier himself, uh, Ishimori, who got to the finals, 
and lost to Hawk Takahashi is not involved in this. I know he just finished, I think, his last uh, round of impact tapings, and now he's going to be in New Japan full-time. So I find it very strange they didn't put him in this. But like I said, I feel like, like you know, I heard uh, Brian Alvarez talk about this, and he was wondering why they did Bushi. And I, I completely agree with that concept, but I'm assuming that uh, that he's going to be fighting on behalf of Takahashi because he's part of Los Ingo Bernables de Capone. Uh, Chris, what do you think about uh, these combatants? Um, obvious situation is pretty awful. And um, who do you think is going to ultimately get the belt? I'm going to go for uh, Kushida. I think that we could use it on the highest baby face they have out of these guys. I'm also going to pick Kushida. Uh, I think the final will probably end up being Will Ospreay and Kushida. They have great matches together, so it makes sense. The only reason I can think of them leaving or putting Bushi in is they didn't want Kushida to get a pin on whoever's going to challenge him next. So, for instance, like the Bone Soldier, if they're going to go that if they're going to go that route, they just may not want him to take a pin from Kushida. So at that point, it makes sense to put Bushi in the match, um, especially with what you were bringing up with it being. You know, standing up for his friend a little bit or, or trying to get the title back for his faction. And and then it protects Bone Soldier to an extent or anyone else who's waiting in the wings. Because I really don't see them putting this right back on Osprey or Scroll. They've just held it in the past year, two years. They I think they've both held this title, if I'm not mistaken, recently, fairly recently, recently anyways. Uh, yeah, so Kushida, I think, is the top, Kushida's the top baby face. I guess between him and, and Osprey, but I do think that they're still planning on having eventually getting that thing over to Bone Soldier and seeing what they can do from there. Now, now that I said that, Marty Scroll will win it and hold it for like half a year or something because it's New Japan. Hey, I, I'm down for Marty having it, but yeah, I think I think that makes the most sense. Uh, Kushida versus Osprey. Kushida goes over, um, or maybe Osprey gets it again. I, I would. It's it's you got to have like a happy type of uh, transition. I would feel like like it's pretty tragic. Kushida, I mean, he's one of the biggest baby faces. I mean, in wrestling, but like you know, especially over New Japan. But we'll have to see. Um, I'm down for whatever. I think that makes a lot of sense though. What you're saying. I mean, if Bushi's there to pin, and if who knows, maybe he'll friggin' win it. And we're completely wrong. I don't think so. Uh, Gato seems to know have his ear to the ground, unlike some other people. But um that I will get into. But, uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and find out. Um, just uh, it's too bad. You know, Takahashi was definitely one of my favorite wrestlers to watch in the ring, and just an un- extremely unfortunate situation. But uh, let's get past that with a uh, kind of, I would say a funner topic, our last news item. Um, so it was announced uh, that we have one of the matches for Evolution, and that will be Alexa Bliss taking on Trish Stratus. Um, my whole thing is, I, I, I think Alexa actually is pretty good in the ring. I, I see people saying that she's horrible and I, I completely disagree. I like that her and Trish kind of have a similar background with wrestling is that they're progressively getting better. You know, Trish wasn't the best wrestler and she became one of the best, I think of her generation, if not the best, her and leader usually depicted as a top two. I would say throw in Ivory, Molly Holly and a couple other people up there, but you know, they're definitely deservingly up at the top. And I think that, you know, Alexa Bliss has shown she's great on the mic more so than in ring, even though I think that she's still a pretty damn good in ring wrestler. She's entertaining. She's like, I always call it the female Miz. I don't think that's a 
a bad thing at all. Uh, that means she's always evolving, getting better in the ring, and she's also extremely great on the mic. One of my favorite things she does is when the rep is trying to like you know tell her to get off the top rope. She's like, I know, like stuff like that. I enjoy singing matches. It's unlike Carmella, who annoys the hell out of me, but we're not going to get into that. What I'm trying to say, basically, Chris, I feel without any type of promos building this up, because I don't think they're going to have anything. They're just going to put this match together. It kind of seems a little bit weak to me. Um, But the newest rumor that Ronda Rousey is going against Nikki Bella just completely makes me go, what? But let's not talk about that. We can talk. We can comment on that next. That's still a rumor. But what do you feel? How do you feel about this official match between Trish and Alexa? I think they're going to build it. I think they're they are going to end up putting some promos into it. I don't know how involved Trish is going to be. Whether some of that's via satellite or if she comes out for one raw similar to a Brock Lesnar to cut a promo after Bliss is calling her out repeatedly. I'm assuming there's going to be some video packages talking about. Women of the past and female wrestlers of the past just building into the first female, you know, full-out pay-per-view, which would make sense. And then you're probably just going to have Bliss calling out Stratus. My thing is I don't understand why – I guess I don't understand why this isn't Sasha or Charlotte or why they're not doing a tag team with, like, you could have – you know, there's a lot of ways that you could have got this. You could have had Trish Stratus and Lita versus Sasha and Charlotte if you're just going for that, like a, a past versus present. To me, Alexa Bliss isn't really one of the starters of the female revo- revolution. I don't have as many of a, I don't have a problem with her in-ring work or anything like that. I think she does a lot more than she's given credit for a lot of times, just due to her size alone. Um, that being said. It's just, it's a weird, the only, I mean, obviously she is the the shitty person that would call out Trish Stratus as far as the heel character goes, but I think you could have easily turned your Sasha heel and, and did this program or easily turned, you know, Charlotte full heel and did this program and it made a little bit more sense, but I have no problem with Trish and, and Alexa Bliss and maybe... Maybe Bliss and Trish are friends, or Bliss looks up to her. I don't. I don't know their personal lives that much, but it's going to be an okay match. I wouldn't expect anything great out of it. I'm assuming you're going to have a lot of a lot of Trish Stratus spots, and she's going to end up beating Alexa Bliss. I, I don't see her losing to Alexa Bliss, but uh, as far as the promos go, I mean, it's literally just going to be what Alexa always does, which is cut down. I mean, similar to what she did with Mickey James when Mickey James first came back, it's going to be, it's going to be the same thing, but with Trish and, and she's going to get heat because people love Trish. That's another thing. I mean, why wouldn't they think about doing Mickey James versus Trish? You think that the audience would definitely love that concept. I, I think you you know, your hardcore fans that were around for that feud would love it, but we're talking 2002, 2003 with Trish and Mickey, right? Yeah. To, to me, the go-to would be Charlotte versus Trish, like the two top <laughs> of their time periods. And, and I don't even think that's really arguable. I guess you could say, you know, Lita, but to me, Lita wasn't Trish. Trish kind of, for no. there, was the benchmark for a long period of time. And I think, you know, Lita was the better wrestler, but as far as, 
overall career, I, I would have to put Trish a bit ahead of her. Um, but yeah, I don't understand why you wouldn't go either, you know, Sasha versus Trish or Charlotte versus Trish. And I guess with the title being up in the air with, you know, with Charlotte and the storyline they were going for there, it makes sense for it not to be Charlotte, but you could easily, you could have easily done this with Sasha, who I think storyline has been kind of lame and probably would have been an easy way to turn her heel anyways and just have this match with, or just not even turn her heel, just have a great match between, you know, two people that are huge influences in women's wrestling. Absolutely. All right. So let's uh, address this rumor. Um, and I, I mean, they were even talk, talking about it on The Observer. It has not been confirmed yet, but apparently the match that might happen is Ronda Rousey versus Nikki Bella. Now, I get on a monetary type of concept of getting your two most known to the general public, Ronda Rousey and, yes, Nikki Bella, because of Total Bellas. But that sounds like the drizzling shit. And seeing Nikki um, and how... You know, she even brings her sister down. When Rhea's with Dan O'Brien, she gets a pop. And when she's with Nikki, she gets shat on by the audience. And I think it is Nikki. Um, I would just like to believe that because I've watched Total Bellas, and I think Rhea's a little bit more charming. But anyways, you know, I just – I don't understand. It's That literally would be the definition. I don't know why the fuck either one of them are in the ring with Natty congratulating Ronda – unless they were going to do a heel thing, which I kind of figured because this is rumored uh, since before SummerSlam. But I, I just don't, this, this match sounds clunky as shit. Uh, it could expose Ron and not looking that well. I think that Nikki is not the worst in the ring at all. Um, I just, I really, I mean, you couldn't do Ronda versus Beth Phoenix or cause since she's going to be involved in the match or, or someone else like, like do you think it's smart? you know, for them to do that just for like a marquee type of concept of like, you got Ronda Rousey versus Nikki Bella, or do you think that's going to take away from the actual match itself? Well, I mean, who else, who else would they even put Ronda against? Do you put her against a Trish instead? If you're, if you're going to, I mean, they haven't built anyone up for Ronda to fight me. If you do this match and Ronda just absolutely destroys Nikki, not really. I I don't think that she's going to come back and do a full match. She in is. a way that would be meaningful. Oh, okay, I get what you're saying. Like a sing, like a singles match, and then build a storyline, and because I'm assuming well, Nikki probably, will be they're there. Probably putting her building. With, um, they're, probably, they're probably putting her with Nia Jax because of all the Royal Rumble stuff, and they'll probably like you just kind of alluded to have a short match. So maybe Beth Phoenix is in the. I just feel like you need to give her a good in-ring wrestler, or she's not going to look that great. And I don't think Nikki's that person. Yeah, but what if she just locks her neck up and takes her out, like, right off the bat? Well, people would love that. No, no, yeah, no one's saying that it has to be a long match. Like, people loved when Goldberg beat Brock. You just do the same yeah. thing. I mean, recycle recycle what you just did, right? Kind of what they did with Roman and Brock, really, if you think about the last pay-per-view. They seem to be super into that. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Ronda just absolutely destroys her, specifically her neck. You know what I mean? And then people will pop for it because it's Ronda, and she's getting a win over Nikki. And people already just have just a – I wouldn't say a dislike because Nikki does have a lot of fans. And I think that she has gotten better in the ring over the years. But she's also associated with the Divas time period in a way that I don't yep. think her career will ever get over. 
and like you said, she's not the most personable person, even if you watch like the Bella's show. Like I think that they've done a good job of trying to make her look better, but then they also always make her the heel in that TV show <laughs> a lot of times. Yeah. So and that's like the weird breath. thing is, and she can't really come off as a heel in wrestling because it affects the ratings of the other TV show, which is kind of this is one of the reasons I hate Total Divas and Total Bellas, unless you're fully <laughs> going to go out and have them be assholes on the show while they're assholes on TV. You know what I mean? Like on, on in wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the main uh, thing, Chris, that I'm worried about is that you know, I, your scenario is great, but what if WWF X or WWF WWE? I mean, sorry, World uh, Wildlife Federation, whatever the fuck you're called. Um, what if WWE pulls the WWE and we get to watch Ronda Rousey sell for fucking Nikki Bella, even if she wins? If it's a decent match, that seems really dumb, and that's gonna hurt Ronda if Nikki's whooping her ass for part of the match. I mean, I guess we look at it more like that than a lot of other fans probably look at it, though, Dane, because, I mean, Nikki has won a ton of championships, and she was also the last person in the Royal Rumble with Asuka, and no one seemed to be terribly upset about that. That's a good point. I I think as long as Ronda goes over strong at the end, I don't think it matters. I mean, Ronda also sold for Stephanie McMahon, and Stephanie McMahon has a way less illustrious career than (laughs) Nikki. I think that Ronda's presence alone, as long as she gets the win and it looks strong, I don't think it's going to matter who they put her in the room with. I think it would have made more sense if you're going to do Trish, Trish coming back and being like, now there's finally some competition for me or something of that, like that nature and playing more of a heel role, which would have been interesting. Um, kind of like a rock versus Cena type deal a little bit. We're not like, you know, like not like Trish, Trish is being shitty, but, just a little bit of like, hey, I, you know, I did this for a long time. You kind of just walked in here when there's no one that could even, you know, challenge me kind of thing. And that, and to me, the Charlotte versus Trish would have been the perfect scenario, but obviously the cards just didn't fall that way. Yep. Well, we'll find out how the cards fall. Um, definitely not. I mean, I'm not too intrigued by these two matches so far, if these are two that are announced or even if one of them. Um, I'm hoping that the rest of the card looks good. Hey, I'm happy that the women get their own pay-per-view. I think that's the best thing, and there should be a lot of great matches within it. You know, at some point we'll find out more information. But let's move on because we got some shit to to cover. Um, not literally, like you know, in a cat litter box. You have to put. The, anyways, um, but we got a lot of stuff to talk about. We got Brooklyn takeover for results. Um, and I have to say that I really enjoyed this whole entire card. I thought the weakest match was still a good match, um, and we'll get to that. I thought everything else, though, especially all the title matches, were stellar. Uh, awesome performances. I really enjoyed them. Starting, and I mean, I listened to Wade Keller and Stone Cold talk about uh, this. They, they broke down SmackDown TakeOver, and they were gushing over Undisputed Era going against Mustache Mountain. I've loved all three of their matches. I thought the whole, especially if you're going to do it earlier in the match, where you cut the pin with the person, with the tag team partner that's not in the actual uh, ring at that time, like, you know, when they go in without the ref's consent, obviously, and break up a pin or a submission. And then later on, just like the last match, or the match before this with Trent Seven, he was in the heel hook, and then Tyler Bate threw in the towel, making them lose the uh, belt. 
you know, they had the reversal of this. It's like, well, you already had that displayed where you said screw it anyways beforehand. Why don't you just do it again? But whatever, you know, I'm, I can't talk bad about this match outside of that. I mean, it was a heavy-hitting match. Roderick Strong is so much more fun as a heel. Kyle O'Reilly is awesome. I love the Undisputed Era. They remind me of uh, Four Horsemen meets DX. I think that's exactly what the fuck they're going for, too. Um, and I love uh, Tyler Bate and Trent Seven. Tyler Bate, what's going to kill him is his height, but he's got so much friggin' potential. For being 21, I believe, the strength that that kid has, I mean, and the agility and also just, just everything. It's just an incredible match. Um, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, the Undisputed Era beat Mustache Mountain. Well, unfortunately for the Mustache Mountain, I like the lost, honestly, because they're going to go and win the UK Tag Championship belts. I know it. Um, or maybe they won't. I don't know. Maybe they'll have some type of outing because of this, and we'll have some great matches between the two guys. I have no idea. But the match itself was great, highly entertaining. I forgot what it's called, their move, but it's when Kyle O'Reilly takes out the head and Roderick Strong goes after the legs. Uh, they took out Trent Seven, got the one, two, three. Uh, the high-low, I believe, is the name of it, actually. Um, and it was after, I mean, literally, the Undisputed Era kicked out of Tyler Bates' uh, Tyler Driver, uh, their 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 double-team move, and Trent Seven's move. And they were just the better the better match. Uh, Moro Nalo, no, 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 it was actually, um, uh, what's his name, Nigel McGuinness uh, was just talking about this match. Maybe it was Moro, I don't know. He was just saying that this match, this rivalry, reminds him of the Rock and Roll Express versus the Midnight Express or the Bulldogs versus the Hart Foundation. There's one key element missing in this whole entire thing. You know, the two, the Rock and Roll Express and the uh, the Midnight Express had LOD with them. Uh, the other ones had Demolition. I think Chris knows where I'm going at with this. After they won, Undisputed Era got destroyed by the War Raiders, who laid them out. One of the coolest moves I've seen, and it's not even that much, but basically one of them, I forgot, I unfortunately forgot their names. One of them launches the other guy in the air, and the other one does a slam as soon as he caught him. And it, it, it seemed like he threw Kyle O'Reilly at least like 20 feet in the air. It was awesome. Um, Chris, how did you feel about this tag match to start off TakeOver? I thought I thought it was a really great tag match. It's been a while since I saw one this good. Probably since they did the that the triple threat match with Undisputed Air and uh, God, now it's like a, it was a couple of pay per views ago. Um, but this is a really good tag match all around. I really liked Seven and Tyler. They have that finisher where it's basically a burning hammer with a flying knee drop combination. Yeah, and that's awesome because I was just talking about how awesome the burning hammer was the other day, and how someone should bring it back. And then I saw saw their finisher, like when they hit that finisher towards the end of the match, and I was like, yeah, I was so excited. But uh, obviously, they ended up losing the undisputed era, which I guess I think we both predicted undisputed era was going to win this match. I wasn't too surprised, but I, I did like a uh, war machine uh, or hashtag war raiders, I guess, uh, coming in, <laughs> and that finisher did look crazy. O'Reilly jumped 100,000 feet in the air <laughs> on that finisher, and it did look awesome. So I, I thought it was a good way to start the show. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with that tag division. Obviously, they're passing the torch a little bit to War Raiders. I do think that they're going to do seven versus uh, Bate leading into 
the UK because I think that's a strong feud to even go for the top title between those two. Uh, yeah. Especially if you're going to do a couple of feuds going into it. So even if they don't have a tag division right away, I think that's a strong, just a strong feud to have. Even if they're not going for the title right away, I think you could build, you know, one of them getting the title and then come back to it if you wanted to. So either way, I, I think, you know, even if it's just a couple of matches on XT and then they go to UK, I think it's good. Well, we, I mean, as I talked about last week, I think that's just going to be a good feud overall when they come out of that thing. Absolutely. Um, one thing I kind of want to ask you, uh, I love the Undisputed Era. Like I said, I, I feel like they remind me a little bit of the Four Horsemen, a little bit of DX mixed together in this great package, and it still comes out new. One thing that makes me think about the future is the fact that all the guys – you know, I would hate to say this, but Vince standards, we're about to go into that ignorant type of concept. They're all not the tallest dudes, basically. Uh, you know, they're great shape, great bodies, but they don't have that one quality that, you know, only certain people like Finn Balor, Rey Mysterio can overcome. Do you, do you think these guys will have a high ceiling when they make it up to me, personally? I think if they all come up together, they do, but I also thought the same thing about Sanity, and they haven't really done anything with Sanity. I also thought the same thing about uh, Authors of Pain, even though Authors of Pain lost their manager, which I think hurt them a lot. Because um, no, neither of those guys can really cut promos. Nothing against them or anything. I, I think they're great in the ring. They've had some really good matches, specifically with uh, Gargano and Chaba when those two were a tag team. I thought they had really good matches against each other. But it's it's a weird – if I'm them, I would want to simmer a little bit and see where the cards fall in NXT before I went up to the main roster. I think Adam Cole will be over as a single superstar no matter what. I think he'll do way better in SmackDown than he would on Raw. And Raw right now, until they stop bringing Brock back and they have this heavy load of talent between Braun, Roman, and Brock, and they're just booking those guys as the top big guys – I wouldn't necessarily want to be an NXT guy going to Raw. Because most of NXT's talent, with outside of like an EC3, are smaller. And I think they're going to be booked similar to how they book some of the smaller guys uh, on Raw. So hopefully what we end up getting after the brand split is some of that talent moving around a bit where Raw goes to SmackDown. Or, or just, just moving some pieces because I still feel like that Raw is completely top-heavy and probably has more stars all, all all around than SmackDown, but SmackDown's consistently the feuds are are a little better yeah. because I think that the the matchups are are a lot better. They're able to do in the ring because like we you're going to do Braun versus Seth, and then Seth's not a heel anymore. It's kind of a weird. Well, we'll get in we'll get into a little bit of Raw later because that is debatable on whether Seth is a heel or a face based on how they're fucking booking the Shield right now, but. Uh, well, you yeah. know, you get what I'm one saying thing, in general. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And one thing I mean, obviously, SmackDown is going to be, become the marquee show once the Fox deal hits. You know, after the next brand split, I'm sure they're going to they're going to throw a lot of talent. You know, now it's like Raw's the name show that everyone knows. But I feel like you're going to see a lot a difference in in uh, concept, if you will. Um, once that actually happens with them, you know, I, w I was thinking this is like a booking idea. Uh, Adam Cole and the Young Bucks used to be in a uh, faction with Mr. Kevin Owens. I know Kevin Owens is good friends with Adam Cole. 
Maybe uh, have Kevin Owens, you know, whenever they decide to do the call-up is what I'm assuming. To give Kevin something to fucking do, because right now they're burying the shit out of him, but we'll get into that, obviously. Um, or maybe I'm crazy. Maybe he's not getting buried. Um, have Kevin, you know, maybe it's Braun that, you know, wait until my friends get here. And then one night, you know, Kevin Braun comes out, or it could be anyone that he's feuding with if it's an extended time period. Um comes out, lights go off, you know, or or the music hits, all of them run out, and then Kevin is a part of the Undisputed Era and beating the fuck out of whoever. I think he would be a good person to be a part of that cocky group. It would re, re uh, reinvigorate him a bit, and it would also give a rub to the Undisputed Era in a way to make them acceptable, especially if Adam Cole and Kevin. And that could even have an outing once those heads butt. But uh, maybe I'm crazy for thinking this, or I just want something good to happen to KO, Chris. I think that would be awesome, but you got to build KO back up, and they got a long way to build him back up because he takes more losses than a lot of other people on the card very undeservingly, and they, he's not monster Kevin Owens anymore. Like, like when I see Kevin Owens in a match, I don't see him as the Kevin Owens who powerbombed the shit out of John Cena. Like, he's not the same guy. They've not given him any meaningful wins. And when we talk about the pay-per-view later, we can talk about you know, Kevin Owens. And if I'm Kevin Owens, unless he's okay with being that guy that's kind of just there, I, I might think about taking a break from the WWE for a while when his contract runs out. I think that it would be more motivation because of the uh, the bumps he's having to fucking take than more so his credibility because he's already done pretty much everything and he probably realizes that he's going to get back up at some point. But if anything, it's like, really? You guys want me to fall off a ladder, fall off a cell, get destroyed by Braun Strowman? It just, it's dumb. He's just putting his body at risk for no reason. He's not getting anything out of it. Obviously, I guess money would be the thing. But like you said, yeah, like I'm, I said, let's that when we get to that match. Let's keep on going with TakeOver so we can finish this yeah. up. Um, Velveteen Dream defeated EC3. Uh, great ending. It just something didn't work chemistry-wise. Um, I don't think EC3 is the greatest in the ring. I think that his presence and his charisma has brought him uh, ways through that. I, I, I think that he's not as bad. I mean, I, I don't want to say that he's bad. Obviously, there's a lot of people... We could go into a whole conversation about that. Uh, Velveteen Dream also sometimes can be a little bit green. Um, I think uh, Austin was the one who kind of pointed that out. And I agree with him. I think he has a shitload of potential. He's so damn young. I still think this match was fun. Um, I love the ballsiness, and Triple H made a comment about it, that he did not get permission to put uh, Call Me Up Vince. Although, at the same time, Dream, you might want to rethink about that whole entire thing. But... You know, based on his character, I I think that he's going to do fine. I just look at someone like Bobby Roode and I go, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I would say this is the weakest match, Chris, out of the whole thing. Uh, but I still think it was a really fun match. Has, EC3, I'll, I will give him this, uh, along with the uh, ladder match. That man can take some punishment. Uh, he got busted open um, hard away at some point in the match, and he also – I think the main thing that everyone thinks about is him getting the Death Valley driver cartwheel thing on the apron and then also getting the elbow drop uh, with his back hanging off the apron. Like, man. And, and Dream laid it into him. I mean, he was that was full weight of his body on top of him. So that, that had to have hurt after that Death Valley driver. But what do you think about this match, Chris? 
I thought it was it was an okay match. I liked the finish of it, but outside of that, it was it, it was just okay. The one thing I'll say is they kind of showed Matt Riddle in the crowd. I'm assuming maybe they're going Riddle versus Dream after this, uh, which was one of the matchups I kind of predicted, either him versus Velveteen or him versus Adam, Adam Cole, like a huge deal. So that makes sense. It'll be interesting to see what they do with Velveteen coming out of this. I guess he could he could also go back after Ricochet, but I don't know. For some reason, I, do, I just don't really see that being where they're going with Velveteen, but could could be wrong. The, the match itself is okay. I'm, I'm not a huge EC3 fan by any means. I thought the beginning of that match was very slow, very uh, – had almost like the, the Aleister Black body root effect to me in the first five minutes of the match where it was kind of just very slow. And then it picked up at the end, and I thought there were some good moves and some great near falls, but, yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of it. I thought it was it was fine. It gave Velveteen a dream, a much-needed win. But uh, to me, EC3 hasn't really done anything so far. In NXT, they would impress me or make me feel any different than I thought about EC3 when he was an impact. Um, but, yeah. That's fair. No, I, I agree with you. And like you said, I mean, if anything – it gave Velveteen Dream his a win. I find it funny that his most impactful matches, he loses. And then the ones with this or like Cassius Ono, which wasn't a bad match. It just wasn't anything memorable compared to the ones he takes the losses. But, you know, with his character, I don't think that matters. And I think you're right about Ricochet. I just feel like we need to see more of his personality displayed. And I feel like it. that was one thing that was a little bit lacking with the Ricochet feud. I think that will come back. And we will get that eventually. Um, but who knows? I'm still hoping that somehow Aleister Black gets the belt back on him and then Velveteen Dreams the one who beats him and then he goes to Maine. But I don't think that's going to happen. We'll have to find out, uh, you know, where they do with Aleister once he's uh, cleared. Uh, yeah, and you're right. The camera pan to NXT's new signee, Matt Riddle. And uh, cool seeing him in the audience. Apparently, uh, Triple H was kind of uh, goofing on him because he had like a suit. Well, like a, a jacket on and stuff like that, and then he had sandals on. <laughs> <laughs> but Dr. that's Morrow. like that's also that's also that's also his character, though. That's like totally the yeah. dude bro Matt Riddle move, like totally the thing that he would do. So uh, he was he's kayfabe. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. He was he was laughing about it. Yeah, definitely Matt Riddle. You know, I. I love Matt Riddle. I'm, I've everything I've seen him in. I used to be a fan of his when he was in UFC. And now to see him come over to here and do his thing, you know, after being involved in uh, PWG for such a long time, it's really cool. I'm looking forward to seeing it. They had to have paid him a lot of money to quit smoking pot. But I think that he's going to be, uh, you know, maybe this generation's uh, Rob Van Dam. That's definitely not a bad thing at all. I mean, he's definitely got the in-ring work and the stoner ability. All right. Uh, <laughs> NXT Women's Championship. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kari Zayn defeated Shayna Baszler. This is actually a a pretty fucking good match. I will say I think this is Shayna's best match, and I thought her best match before that was their uh, their match for the Mae Young Classic. I don't think Shayna's bad or anything like that. I just think that, you know, she's a certain style. Uh, I would like to see Stephanie call up Shayna and basically pay her a bunch of money to, to you know, be the next opponent against Ronda, and Ronda be like, I thought you were my friend. She, her be like, well, I'm sorry, there's a price, and, like, start a rivalry. I've always said that. The two of them together in the ring – especially since they're both MMA fighters, they'll put on a, 
a good match, I think, and bring each other's strengths out because of that. Um, but who knows? Either way, this match itself was fun. It took, I believe, what was it? I think it was, no, 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 no. It was two elbow drops in the third one. Um, she put her arm, or she put her legs up. Kari, uh, you know, kind of rolled off. And then Shana went to go put her in the uh, the chokehold again. And she went over Shana, pinning her with a three count. Uh, a lot of great spots in the match. Uh, I, I really liked that spot that they did beforehand with the elbow drop. You know, or coming off the ropes and then going right into a chokehold. Diving crossbody to the outside. I swear to God, Japanese wrestlers can just do that move, no problem. Um, <laughs> like the, the turnbuckle, but like fucking Steamboat and Tanahashi. It's like, it just, they nailed them perfectly. And it's, it's, it's very impressive because, you know, there's little to no error in this situation like that. You get your face smashed into the freaking guardrail. Anyways, really had a fun time watching this match. Um, how, how did you like it, Chris? I actually thought this was a great match, and definitely I, I would say Sheena's best match. I think she does well when she has a good opponent. Uh, that sounds really, really dumb, but there's certain people that have brought kind of the best out of her. I know early she had a match with Ember Moon that I thought was pretty good. That was before she really got her build going. And then obviously the ones that she had in some of the tournament matches at the Mae Young Classic. But... uh yeah, it was a good match. I kind of like the the end of it reminded me of like Bret Hart versus Roddy Piper at WrestleMania 8 or, uh, you know, kind of Hart versus Steve Austin at Survivor Series. Kind of the way they did the finish uh, was pretty great. And it, it was a very enjoyable match to watch. I like the finish with it just being a pin, easily selling that either person could have won the match, setting up for a, of course, you know, a rematch of some sort. So I, I like your, uh, I also like your idea of, her being the person brought up to fight Ronda. Like, I don't think that's a bad idea, and, and that would make a lot of sense. I Hopefully at that point, Ronda has had some more matches under her belt, and we get not just UFC shoot stuff, but some actual wrestling. I don't want it to be just a short, you know, Lesnar versus Goldberg type match. I, w- I would like to see an actual wrestling match between those two. And To me, Baszler has done great considering how fast – she's transitioned from a UFC fighter to an actual pro wrestler. Uh, and yep. it's, it's kind of incredible. Uh, I, like I said, I, I wasn't, I'm not the hugest fan of her. I do think she's getting better. And I think that she will continue to get better, especially if they're putting her in matches against uh, people like Carrie Zane and, and probably Io Shiro when she comes up and, and a few other people before they move her up to the front lines. And it's just crazy to think, you know, she's, She's 38 herself, and she kind wow. of started late. Looks, at this, so, yeah, she she looks great, but it's it's just crazy. You know, she was in stardom for two years. So it's not like she's yeah, she just kind of had a late start to her wrestling career in general, and everything that she's been able to learn and accomplish in such a short period of time. We're talking two, you know, two three years, and she's already had the, held the NXT title, and she was kind of big in stardom. I don't remember she held the title there, but it's uh, it's just crazy to think about like what all she's accomplished in such a short period of time. And obviously she's a, a freak of an athlete, and it would be really exciting to see her versus Ronda. But I think she's honing her skill and obviously getting better. And uh, it was one of my favorite matches of the night. 
honestly, just because I like the finish of it a lot. It had a lot of nostalgia feel to me. Like I said, the, the way the finish was booked, I thought was really, really well done in that match. Absolutely. And um, all I like to say is thank you, Josh Barnett, for training her and uh, helping other people make tra- transitions between wrestling and or UFC to wrestling because it's kind of awesome that a vet like that is now you know able to to do that obviously and uh, yeah I'm looking forward to seeing more I, I also love and it's a match I almost forgot about which I would have been pissed um, I just somehow forgot about it a little bit but uh, I love genuine like happiness from a person that wins a belt how you can tell that they're they're like this is the biggest thing they've done so far and Zane definitely had that and so did Ricochet who defeated Adam Cole for the North American Championship. Another fucking awesome match. I think the two big spots, Chris, that most people are going to remember from that is when Adam Cole went for a super kick, Ricochet grabbed it, gave him the discus clothesline, went to go do a moonsault off the uh, springboard off the ropes, and Adam Cole super kicked him right in the neck, perfectly placed hit. The, the best super kick I've seen since, uh, Shawn Michaels did it to Rey Mysterio off the top ropes or Shelton Benjamin off springboarding off the side ropes. Just awesome. And then a little bit later on, Adam Cole is dazed and confused on the side of the ring and Ricochet comes, runs, and gives him a fucking Hurricane Rana and throws him. He takes such a bad back bump to the outside. Awesome match. Uh, Ricochet won with the 630 for the pinfall. That move is amazing. He really is a visual gift. He is a, a, a video game cheat to watch. And he's getting one thing on Edge and Christian. He was talking about, like, you know, I was, you know I've, I've been told I'm good from multiple times. If you get, you know, basically, like, you know, your, your favorite wrestlers like Rey Mysterio and The Rock support you and stuff like that. But he feels like he's, he's learning at a completely different level now that he's in NXT and that he feels like there's all, like, you know, he loves all the compliments for his athleticism, but there's so much more that he can learn. And I feel like he's going to be, once, you know, he's getting better and better on the mic. That's the, the weaker thing about him. But his in-ring work, you know, transitioning from, and I love the stuff with him and Will Ospreay, that was definitely incredible, but very much choreographed and stuff like that. Now it's like they're having a fight. And I've seen Ricochet have great matches with Prince Puma, and it's not like he doesn't do this. But I feel like I understand what he's saying in, in which, he was able to incorporate that type of stuff, but still make it look like a great match, and they told a great story. Adam Cole trying to tell him that you're not special the whole entire time, smacking him in the head. And no, Ricochet is special, and he's now the NXT North American Champion. Afterwards, uh, online, they showed a clip of uh, him getting an interview, and um, the Undisputed Era coming up and bitching at him. Um, it was a, not, not, not Adam Cole, but like, you know, Kyler Riley and Roderick Strong. And Pete Dunn came down there and told him basically to fuck off. And then Ricochet looked at Pete and said, hey, man, thanks. And Pete Dunn said, I didn't do that for you. And kind of like gave him an eat shit stare. So he might be getting Ricochet and Pete Dunn, uh, I'm assuming at some point. But either way, Chris, how did you like this match? I thought the match was incredible. It was exactly what I expected. It was definitely the match of the night for me. Um, there were some great high spots, obviously. One of my, my favorite, my favorite thing that I saw is Ricochet has to be one of the first people in WWE in a long time I've seen hit a reverse Hurricane Rana, which we see all the time in New Japan, 
but he did like a reverse uh, Hurricane Rana, and then he leaped over the ropes and hit another Frankensteiner, and that kind of like like led into the you know his finisher. So it was just it's the same spots you were talking about, but it was absolutely incredible the end of that match, and the, and the whole match was just nonstop, both of them going at it and just seeing. Who could outdo one another? Because Adam Cole is, is really damn good in the ring, too. So it was fun just to see those two go at it. It's probably my favorite Ricochet match thus far. Him and Velveteen Dream was fun, a lot of fun. Obviously, just I think Velveteen's Dream plays off of how good Ricochet is in the ring in a different way. It's almost like uh, you know you get Steamboat versus uh, Savage. It's different than you know Steamboat versus Flair, like in-ring quality. And I think we kind of got to see, you know, those kind of matches between the between those two different groups. Um, probably my favorite Ricochet match since him and Mundo in Lucha Underground. I guess he was Prince Puma then, but I think he had a similar match with Adam Cole that he did with Mundo where it was more of a, a WWE setting. And, and like you said, with Will Ospreay, a lot of his, a lot of their stuff was choreographed like spots, like really, really great uh, spot wrestling over the top choreographed. And then this was more of a Rey Mysterio or what he was doing in Lucha with Johnny Mundo style match, and, and that was really great. And he just, they put him against a bunch of different opponents, and he's had a good match every single time. So it would be great to see him with someone like Pete Dunne, who is more of just a straight hoss, very strong style, very much like a like an Ishii or a Benoit or not necessarily a submission specialist, but definitely a hard, hard-nosed wrestler as opposed to a high flyer or like Velveteen Dream, who I think is more of just your straight WWE-style wrestler. So it's going to be interesting to see those two in a match. I think you'll get a different chemistry, and they'll be it's going to end up being awesome because they're both fucking great. So I'm looking forward to that. I hope they do go that route. It wasn't just a uh, one-off. We're setting up for Kyle O'Reilly versus... Uh, Pete Dunne, and this just happened to be how we got there, because it'd be really great to see those two square off. Yeah, man, I, I completely agree with you, and I just want to say that I love Ricochet, but I really love Adam Cole. He has grown on me so much. Um, I started getting, you know, learning about him basically when he joined um, uh, Bullet Club, and finding out about him there, but like, he is really, he's always had that cockiness, that 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 ego to him, but like, He's definitely the Ric Flair leader of the group. Um, you know, a lot of comparisons, and obviously it's been said by multiple people that work in NXT, including Triple H, that Sean loves him. I think Sean likes working with a lot of people, but obviously he probably sees a lot of himself in Adam Cole. Even though half the freaking generation Adam Cole's part of probably all have a little bit of Shawn Michaels. Uh, but, you know, there's some his favorite wrestler is Chris Jericho. I can see that in there. Even, like, the way the way he does like his 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 hand signals and stuff like that, the Adam Cole baby, kind of reminds me of a little bit of DDP. Like he just he's a damn good wrestler, and I hope his size doesn't get the best for him on name because he's fucking he's fire on the mic and he's a damn fun in ring hand. He's not anything over special. That's why I wouldn't say that you know that comparison with Sean's gonna happen because of demeanor, very much DX Sean. Uh, super kicks and stuff like that, but he's not at that level, but he's still a damn good wrestler, and he's a lot of fun to watch, and he took some freaking bumps, man. That that Frankensteiner or, or Hurricane Ron or whatever you call it from Ricochet to the outside looked like it hurt. Um, but anyways, let's talk about stuff that really looked like it hurt. The last man standing match. Uh, 
fuck, man. Tomas Ciampa defeated Johnny Gargano. Um, this match was brutal, man. I mean, they went through tables. They just beat the living shit out of each other. It's amazing to me, and, you know, I've said this before, how if you don't like each other, you know, like Brett and Sean, you can put on some great matches. If you're best friends, like Kenny Omega and Kota Bushi or Gargano and Ciampa, you can actually really destroy each other. And uh, unfortunately, at the end of it, and has been confirmed, we don't know what happened. Uh, you know, I, Triple H do, is not known to, to work kayfabe into press conferences after events, and it looked pretty fumbled. I watched the, re, I watched the match, and I also watched that part particularly back-to-back. But anyways, after a long, grueling match, they made their way up to the top of the ramp. Um, Johnny, by the end of the sta- or towards the end of the stage, uh, basically handcuffed uh, Tommaso Ciampa to one of the poles and was just relentlessly beating the shit out of him. I mean, he gave him like four super kicks in the head. Ciampa's begging for him to stop, you know. And uh, at one point, he ran. He went to go do his. Uh, chip kicker. I, I don't remember exactly what he calls it, but it's a running knee to the face. And Ciampa moved out of the way, obviously, and he just went knee first into a plastic like case that holds stuff uh, that was right behind it. And apparently, um, and like I said, this might have been disproved already. Uh, right as we're talking about this, probably disproved. But, you know, and I'll watch NXT tonight to see if anything happens. Along, if, if it's in the recorded episode obviously it was all meant to be like that but Triple H made it look like he dislocated his kneecap when he hit it and the ref was going back and forth with him and also uh, Johnny when he was doing the tech count Johnny literally couldn't get up apparently and so Tommaso just leaned and kind of stood up you know like he could at the edge of the ramp putting his body off of it it was kind of held up basically by the handcuff uh, to win the match Obviously, Ciampa was going over no matter what, Chris, but do you think there's any type of reality that he dislocated his kneecap, which makes me just cringe thinking about? I think more than likely, likely it was just storyline and them trying to book their way out of this match because it's not where they, what they really wanted to do anyways. Um, but yeah, I, I thought overall it was a good match. I could be wrong about the knee thing. Who knows? Um it seemed like to me the finish was booked in the similar way they used to book old school Texas death matches where someone gets their leg hand cuffed and they can't stand up like with the 10 count kind of thing. It, it just made sense. I, I thought it was a clever finish, a little clunky, but I thought it was clever, obviously, with Chompa being able to just roll up off and step, stand up um, and the knee being taken out. So it was a brutal match. I'm just, I need these guys to get away from each other for a while. And maybe that's why they're selling this knee injury. This is their fourth match in a row, fifth match in a row, right? Not including the rubber. Third. Yeah. And this is the fourth, right? Well, one-on-one they've had three. They had their original match. Then they had the one last time. They had like three different types of basically hardcore matches, but they called it different fucking things. Yeah, so either way, the fact that they were all the same type of match called different things, I need to break from for a little bit, but I I thought it was a good match. To me, they keep going, having to go over, like, they're just straight brawls, and these are two guys that could actually just have a really good wrestling match. So I was kind of hoping when they announced 
when they announced Aleister Black was going to be out and that, you know, Ciampa was the champion, that he would have the champion's advantage. Like, there would be no need for this to be a last man standing match. It should just be a normal match, and then you could just book your way out of it however you wanted to. Even if Gargano was getting, you know, the win, you could just have Ciampa get a low blow and just get more heat. Uh, which, I mean, he's still got the same amount of heat with him rolling out of the way. But it was just the same. It's, to me, it's the same match too many times in a row. And I thought the match itself was really good. And they're both great. And the feud is still working. But uh, I don't. I, I think they need to take a break from it for a while. And I think that's where the knee thing is coming into play. And probably Gargano coming back and, and winning the title would be my guess. From Ciampa. I don't. I'm not necessarily sold on Alistair Black even coming back to NXT. I think he might just go straight to yeah. me. That would make sense. I mean, they have a good outing. The only thing is, they also created the Who Done It. So, unless they play into that and try to get Alistair Black uh, back, I don't know. We'll have to find out. Great takeover. Enjoy the hell out of it. Um, out of the uh, Gargano, um, I still think the second match has been their best. Um, I like this one, but it was a lot of rehashing of the second and first match. So the second one was a lot of fun. Everything was kind of new, especially that when he exposed the ring and DDT'd him and stuff like that out of nowhere. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure we'll see more of that. And NXT is on uh, – right, it's nine minutes in. So uh, once you're done listening to this, along with myself, let's watch it. And we'll be talking about stuff like that, stuff involved with that next week. All right, let's get to SummerSlam. Chris, I'm not going to even – all right, the pre-show, guys, they had a better match with Andrade and Valina Vega against Rusev and Lana on on Raw, honestly. Um, but they beat them that night, and then they lost on Raw to them. Uh, luckily, because Rusev Day is still together, which is good. Uh, I felt bad for the Cruiserweight match. Decent match. I've seen better between Cedric and Drew Gulak, but no one really gave a shit. Like usual, Cedric beat them. And the Raw Tag Team Championship match. The B-Team, for some fucking reason, beat the Revival. Um, I just feel like, you know, I know you're not the biggest fan of the Revival. Um, I think they're they're fun. Uh, you know, the stuff that they did with DIY and, and Office Japan, the three of them together, was a lot of fun. And what I kind of, like, started watching NXT and realizing, whoa, they actually like tag team wrestling over here. Uh, so, to me, just the B-Team having it just, devalues the title. We got Authors of Pain. We got American Alpha probably coming back. We got Titus Worldwide. You have some good tag teams on there. So why the fuck are you pairing them together? You know, Authors of Pain are getting their ass kicked by Titus Worldwide. Like, what the hell is going on with the tag division? I know Vince doesn't give a shit, but, I mean, you could just put it on the Revival and see what happens and then make them go against Authors of Pain, which they have a shitload of chemistry with, and just see where it goes and then mix the other tag teams in there. But whatever, that's my rant for that. Chris, do you have anything to say about the pre-show before I move on to the main card? No, I mean the predict. We, I mean, we pretty much squared these predictions right up, minus the B team thing. I honestly thought the revival were going to win, just because I, to me, the B team has ran its course. Like it's not funny anymore, and you're just hurting your tag team division, like you already said. So we're just, we would just basically be recapping if we talk about it any further. So let's let's move along. <laughs> All right, first match. I thought it was a great match to start off. Uh, the Intercontinental Championship match. Funny note, by the way, all the Raw matches, this is the longest one. I forgot how much time it was, but it was under 24 minutes for all the Raw matches combined of the whole entire card. So that means the SmackDown had the longer matches. This was the only one, honestly, out of the Raw matches that really 
if you're going to go back and pick and choose, watch this match. It was a lot of fun. Um, you know, at one point, basically, Drew McIntyre took out Dean Ambrose, distracted Seth. Uh, he got the backstabber. It actually first went into the corner, and I guess the pad, when you look into the replay, the pad moved over, and his head hit just like the metal part, cut him open, uh, got the backstabber, or whatever the hell it's called, that, that uh, Dolph does that looks like shit. Not because of Dolph, just the move is stupid. Zigzag? Yeah, that, that's it, actually. The zigzag. Um, and then he, he uh, countered, or he got out of the pin, and then Dean Ambrose gave dirty deeds to Drew McIntyre outside, and you had Seth kind of distracted by that. Turned around, Dolph was going to give him a super kick. He super kicked Dolph in the face and then gave him the curb stomp, one, two, three. Seth Rollins is your new IC champion. Um, I had a fun time with this match, Chris. I think it definitely was the best Raw match. What do you think? I think it was the best Raw match, but it was also the one that had the most just let's focus away from the wrestling <laughs> as hard as possible because they did so much. We're just talking about Dean being back and then him and Drew McIntyre on the outside of the ring. It became one of those matches where it was hard to actually focus on what was going on in the ring. Good for Seth winning the title. Now we have Seth Dean and, and Roman, which I guess we'll get to later, kind of running wild, I guess. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Yep. Not what I wanted. Right. Not what I wanted at all. <laughs> but was Seth Rollins defeating Dolph Ziggler? No, with Dean Ambrose not shitting all over all of these guys. Yeah, I think they're uh, – and I, I agree with you, and I feel like I, – I actually think WWE – who knows? Maybe I'm putting too much credit towards them. I just feel like they foreshadowed a bit, if you will right after the match when Dean and him were all celebrating and then he was behind him. Very, I mean, the imagery was there. And the fact that we had the Becky, I guess, heel turn maybe was the reason why they didn't, you know, if they have, if this ends up with Dean Ambrose laying out the IC champion and the world and the universal champion and saying, screw you to both guys. And then kind of going off on his own thing. I think that will be a good um, payoff. But we'll have to find out because this, the, the, the shield could be broken up in a fucking week over nothing else. And, you know, they, they make SmackDown and, and, and beat AJ Styles for the W. I have no fucking clue. So I'm just going to hope that they have a some booking in advance, but they're not Gato, so who knows. Uh, SmackDown championship match. New Day defeated the Bludgeon Brothers. Um, unfortunately, uh, Eric Rowan is going to be out for a while. He tore his bicep. Uh, he has surgery. I, I believe you said he had surgery today. Um, and they were just they were talking about the, on the Observer. It seems to be as bad, if not worse, as the one that Dean Ambrose suffered. Uh, definitely not as small as the one that Tanahashi had, obviously. Because I think Tanahashi just rehabbed that himself and just fucking kept on going because crazy. Um, but either way, Rowan's out, and Harper's kind of lonely, man. I mean, now I don't think the Blushing Brothers is going to be there anymore. So, you know, and... I guess you can kind of answer this, too, along with how did you like the match. I thought it was a decent match. I thought they had a better one, obviously, on Raw, when the New Day went won against uh, the Bludgeon Brothers. Or not on SmackDown, I should say. Uh, which kind of needed to happen because Eric's obviously hurt. They beat him. Then New Day got it back. I was happy about that. We're going to see some great matches for the New Day. But came back to Luke Harper. You have a similar situation in Bray Wyatt having that problem with you know, he doesn't have his partner anymore either. Matt's 
taking at least taking a break for a while, he said. So we're not going to see him back anytime soon, and not in a wrestling sense at least. Um, and we, we talk, talked to you guys and told you about Bray, alluding to the fact that he's getting new music, new this, new that. Man, don't, you don't need to do anything new. I mean, honestly, you are absolutely doing, and, and this is not, a, Chris will talk for himself, but I feel, booking-wise, you are not doing anything with sanity. I understand that Eric Young has always been a leader, but he really hasn't. I mean, he was just the guy that kind of was, like, with this force. They don't have Nikki Cross involved, and you can still involve her if you want. You got Luke Harper not doing anything. Bring fucking Bray over to SmackDown and start the Wyatt family as his cult over again. And just do something with it. Don't make it mystical. Don't make it fucking weird. Just do that. And then if Eric Rowan, you can bring him right back into that. If you're not going to do that, rocket strap Luke Harper and see what you can do with him as a singles competitor. I mean, he's. I feel like he's money. For a guy that size and the way he's able to work, it's pretty damn impressive. And his eyes, man, I mean, I think I've said that a million times. He's got that stare that Abdul the Butcher had, that – uh, Bruiser Brody had that that Cactus Jack had that that like something's wrong with him. Nothing's wrong with him. He's actually a really nice guy in real life, uh, from at least all the interviews I've listened to. But it just it, it's even though I didn't think the Bludgeon Brothers was doing anything for Luke Harper, it was something for him to do at the, in the same way. Chris, how do you feel about the match? And uh, how do you feel about Eric Rowan uh, injuring himself? And also, what is going to be of Luke Harper? Obviously, I don't want anyone to get injured, but I was a little done with the Bludgeon Brothers experiment in general. Um, and they were just delaying until they put the titles back on the new day anyways, in my opinion, uh, with the, with the with, obviously with the DQ finish, building to something bigger. But it sucks that Rowan's hurt. Uh, as far as Harper, I think there's tons that they could do with him. I thought he was having a really good singles run until they had him start fighting Rowan again and then just eventually put them back in a tag team. Because when he was going against what, he went against Jinder, and he had a match against Orton there for a while. When he was had a little singles run there, I thought that was the right way to go. And I thought he was having some good matches. And I just hope they don't do the thing where they do... I, I know that y- you like the idea of a new Wyatt family. I, I'm kind of against it. I, I just want to see Bray do something to com- like completely different. I would be more excited about Harper going to a separate brand by himself, maybe even Raw, where he can be a big guy with the likes of Roman and Elias and Braun and have those kind of big man matches and and do a little bit more. Because right now, SmackDown seems like it's very focused on more of the indie AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan, um, Shinsuke type of fans on those kind of matches. So it's it's just a different product altogether than what Raw is, in my opinion. So I think moving Harper to a different brand would probably be helpful in keeping him away from Wyatt and Rowan for a while, letting him have a chance to build his character. As far as the match itself, I thought it was pretty decent. Obviously, it was a DQ, which I'm not a huge fan of. It seems like they do this every time Hammer. there's a tag team match. No, I mean, it's just in general, every tag team defense they have, there's a DQ match first before they actually you actually see a full match when they go to pay-per-view. So this was a nice payoff on um, on SmackDown, at, you know, after this happened, obviously. And they were a little forced into it, but I thought it was fine. What I will say is we got to see two matches with Xavier 
uh, Xavier Woods in a row, and they had on, on SmackDown, I don't know if we're going to talk about it, but they had <clears throat> Big E take a step back and not be in, in the match because of a rib injury, right? Isn't that how that thing played out, is that he got hurt? So you get yep. two matches with Xavier Woods. I think Xavier and Kofi make a great tag team. It would be cool to see Big E, even if he's still part of that crew, become more of a skills competitor and just let Kofi and Xavier Absolutely. do their thing. Which is not like, you know, anything against Big E, because I think they work good together. It's like a, Big E is like their Terry Gordy. You know, like, I'm not saying completely yeah. take him away from the group, but it'd be cool to see Big E get some single matches, maybe get a U.S. championship, um, and and then just focus on, you know, Xavier and Kofi doing their thing. Maybe even lead it into a breakup where uh, Big E starts big-leaguing him a little bit if he wins the U.S. title against Shinsuke or something. I, I think it's a cool idea. I kind of wish they would have went with it a lot sooner. I do still see Xavier as the star of that group. I don't think that he is the best. I think Kofi is the best wrestler in the group. Xavier has the most personality and I think all-around skill. Uh, not necessarily in-ring-wise, but just like as a complete package wrestler, I think he is the guy. But I, I enjoy all of the New Day. If they keep them together forever, I'm fine. I just would love to see Xavier Woods kind of get up to the top tier at some point, even if he's just a very short Miz-type title run. Um, I think that would be great. But yeah, I, I'm enjoying it. I'm excited to see Usos versus New Day, which I'm assuming where's where they're going to go now that the Bludgeon Brothers are no longer together, or will not be together until Rowan comes back. And they got four great tag teams, and they alluded to on SmackDown with the club. I guess the club. Um, I don't know what they're doing with the Usos. I'm sure they're going to come back in the in the fold very soon. But the club and the bar are going to have a match. The winner will go against. The New Day, or, well, whoever won the match, basically. But obviously, the New Day won. Um, and you have some great tag teams. You have the Usos, you have the New Day, you have the club, you have the bar, you have. Um, actually, you got all those. You got those four tag teams. So there's that. I know there's more, but I I don't know. Brazango? No, they're on Raw, and Fandango's gone. Either way, fun match. New Day's got the belt. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. All right, let's move on. We got the Money in the Bank briefcase match. Uh, not the shortest match, actually. There's one Scotch squash match we'll talk about that was even shorter than this. Braun Strowman decimated Kevin Owens. Um, I love Braun Strowman. Uh, I don't think this does anything good for KO. I mean, you couldn't get a, let him get a little bit of offense. This is even worse than when Goldberg destroyed him. At least Goldberg's got a little bit of, I mean, even though I don't think he's the greatest wrestler in the ring, you know, some credibility because he's just, like, legend and he beat the shit out of Brock Lesnar real quickly. Um, but I, I don't get it. Um, I don't know. You've made him become a sniveling little heel. And uh, I think, if anything, some wrestling fans like me who like Braun Strowman a lot, you're kind of giving me a little bit of resentment towards the guy that I like because he just decimated a really good in-ring wrestler. And I'm... Um, never mind. I was going to address some marks, but fuck it. You know, I shouldn't be going to comment sections. All I have to say is, along with Samoa Joe, just because you have a big physique, a.k.a. Dusty Rhodes, does not mean you're not a good in-ring wrestler. Okay? You can have a huge six-pack and giant muscles and not be able to produce shit. Look at Lex Luger. So just remember that. Anyways, I don't think any of our listeners are like that, but Chris, I know you hated this fucking match. Yeah, I, um... 
what, what was the whole point of me having to watch Jinder Mahal for three weeks? No idea. Like, leading into this fucking match. Why didn't they just do Jinder Mahal versus Braun if they wanted a squash match? It was pointless for Kevin Owens to be involved in this match. You put him with Jinder Mahal, which to me hurts Kevin Owens, if anything. And then you don't even utilize Jinder Mahal at any point in time. Kevin Owens gets smashed. Is this building a feud between Jinder Mahal and Kevin Owens? Like, what was the end game in this? And then also, I, I don't think it really does anything for Braun. I, I think that you have... It would have been better if Braun actually had a match against Kevin Owens. A legitimate match. And just one. Instead of just a straight squash match. If he would have had a good match, a good wrestling match, I think fans would have not had as much of a problem with this. Because, like, even if Kevin Owens loses, he can put on a good match. Like, you could still have done the same match, made Braun look strong, made Kevin look like a heel, and they still could have had a good match. I don't think it needed to be a squash. The whole storyline building into it was really, really stupid. Kevin Owens got thrown off the top of hell in a cell after a longer match, which makes a little less sense. And then teams with Jinder Mahal and, and Mahal's people Let's just say people because I can't remember the the sing the single singular sing brother because I don't know where the other sing brother is right now. And then they disband, and this is what we get out of it. So the payoff is literally just Braun B. Kevin Owens, which is where they were at to begin with when he threw him off top of Hell and Cell. So this to me wasn't even as impactful as what he did at the last pay per view. Even though it was like, well, he beat him in a really quick time. It was like, yeah, well, the last pay-per-view, he threw him off the top of a damn hell in a cell. So, and at least Kevin Owens won, though. <laughs> yeah, but his win didn't mean anything. Braun doesn't have to care about his win. You know who else beat Braun Strowman? Kalisto, because he got put in a garbage can. Because <laughs> Braun fell into a garbage can. How did that? What happened with that one again? I don't even remember. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I'm over-talking about this. It seems really pointless. I get Braun Strowman's going to come out later on and that he's going to be involved there, but Kevin Owens wasn't on uh, Raw. I don't, I don't think they have anything for him. You know, like I said, I, I, I'm sure he doesn't mind with a money value. I'm sure they're trying to figure out something for him to do. But when it comes to the man's body, you know, he's gotten his fucking ass kicked uh, since TLC from Braun Strowman, you know, getting thrown off giant ladders and, you know, thrown off the hell in the cell. It just, I don't know. Try to figure out. Kevin Owens is a much more complex. Well, it's not really that complex. He's a badass. He can act like a heel. It's you know it's funny, Chris. I'll, I'll just point out this real quick. Uh, you know that video I showed you, which by the way, if you want to be able to see Jerry the King Lawler go against Kevin Owens, it's on. It's online. I'm not gonna say it's the greatest match, but it's still fun. I mean, Jerry's pretty damn old. But Kevin. Reminds me, in a lot of ways, of Jerry in the sense of when he was not in WWE, when he was in NXT and Ring of Honor, he was more of a badass. He was more of like, you know, I'm not going to – Jerry obviously definitely pandered more babyface, but Jared and Stone Cold have both said Jerry, his Memphis style, that was Stone Cold before Stone Cold, if you will. Maybe not to that degree, but he was more of a badass, you know, more – he had that type of I'll, I'll beat you. You know, Kevin Owens has a whole prize fighter. Watch what happens when both of them enter WWE. Now they're both sniveling heels. You know, Jerry's trying to pay off someone and pretend that his legs hurt so he can't 
He doesn't have to go against Bret Hart and then have to suck on his toes and, you know, in, incorporates that, that, that completely just wimpy baby face that gets his ass kicked. Chicken shit heel, or not baby face, chicken shit heel. Kevin Owens, very similar in concept. I, 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 I don't understand why, you know, he can be snarky and, and have kind of that, that heelish type of quality to him where he's funny and quippy and says that type of stuff like he always has, but still be a badass that beat John Cena and, you know, was decimating people and, you know, won that won the universe title and was holding it for a long time. And I hate to say it. I, I love the festival of friendship, but that seems like that's where the character changed. And Vince saw that and then went completely that direction with him. Um, do you think that's a pretty decent assessment? Yeah, and I mean, obviously he was hurt by just them wanting Brock versus Goldberg and yep. forcing that situation into something that wasn't really booked. But yeah, I mean, I think your assessment's exactly how I would sum it up. I, I, they should have left him on SmackDown, first and foremost. And they instead of doing what they did at WrestleMania, they should have just had they should have booked it as Shane being a heel and being a shitty CEO member. Similar because to what was. they do with, with Stephanie. Because, to be completely honest, the entire build-up was them screwing over Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn to that match. That was the entire storyline. So, he's been hurt by a lot of weird booking decisions and this match obviously doesn't help him. I don't, I don't think it hurts him as bad as a lot of other huge Kevin Owens fans. I'm not, and I'm a huge Kevin Owens fan too. But I don't think it hurts him that bad. And the only reason I will say that is because Braun has beaten everyone, with the exception of Lesnar. He's literally beaten everyone. So, you know, it's just dumb. I, there was other ways to do the match and get the same result. Just a little bit of offense would have been fine. And maybe a reasoning of why Kevin Owens, you know, I don't know. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk about this anymore. But you brought up the Shane McMahon thing, you know, when Shane was acting like a heel and fucking over Kevin Owens constantly, and somehow was a babyface. Going into our next match, we have a triple threat um, between Charlotte Flair, the champion Carmella, and Becky Lynch for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Um, I will say this about the match: it was a fun match, uh, and it really. I will give praise where it's due. Carmella, this is probably her best match that I've ever seen her. I thought they were going to hide her. They didn't. You know, they had Becky and Charlotte go back and forth sometimes, but a lot of times one of them would get knocked out, and then Carmella would take on one of them, and she was able to keep up pretty damn consistently, I would say. Um, and I, I, I really feel like the whole, you know, just uh, you're the diva and we're real wrestlers. Like, I don't – that kind of degrades the whole concept of the women's evolution, but I'm not going to, that's another uh, rant for another day. But either way, uh, inevitably Charlotte won. And at the end of it, Becky was really upset because she got her, or she, or Charlotte got Becky with the natural selection, pinned her for the three count, winning the belt. Um, Obviously Carmella will probably get a um, rematch in the future, but for right now it's going to be locked on these two. Because at the end of it, uh, Lynch and Flair hugged before Lynch smacked her in the face and beat her down. Large, 
or loud cheers for Lynch were said, loud boos and you deserve it chants were said for Flair. Um, and then we would have Becky cut a promo because a lot of people, Dave Metzler and and um, and, and uh, what should call it? Uh, Brian, I can't remember his last name. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, on the Observer, they were both thinking this was not a heel turn. That this was just Becky fresh or just frustrated, and it was actually going to do what I thought it was going to do, and have Becky come out, and she just lays out how she feels, you know, similar to what she did, but instead of going after the crowd, say that you know at least you people get it, blah blah blah, blah and kind of do that. It's run down Charlotte. Charlotte comes out, and instead of just charging the ring, let Charlotte cut a heel promo. Charlotte be like, that's enough. Get out of with this. I'm a flare. You know, I mean. You're 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 pigeon shit. You're you're nothing compared to me. I'm sorry that you're in my shadow. Like let her embrace that. Charlotte is a good heel. She's fucking Ric Flair's daughter. You have Becky, who is the most over baby face in the women's division, period. You've already killed Bailey. No one really gives a shit about any of the other ones. You know, she was bigger than Naomi, I would say, as a baby face. Ember Moon hasn't gotten to that level. Sasha, you know, all the bullshit that you put between her and Bailey. Becky was your baby face. And you basically had her kind of turn on the crowd a little bit. She shouldn't have at all. And if really you're going to go for full-blown, her heel, Charlotte baby face, really stupid. I mean, I feel like the belts are going to stay on Ronda and Charlotte long enough for Survivor Series where they do champion versus champion. I, I feel like that should be a WrestleMania match, but I could see them trying to cash in on that concept. Charlotte needs to be a fucking heel regardless. It seems like that would help out that scenario even more so. So just like long-term booking, something that doesn't happen in fucking WWE. And last, before I pass to you, Chris, I'm just, I'm done with the geriatric fucking guy. I mean, I love Vince McMahon for all the stuff that he's done towards my childhood, but I'm so sick of him just being this sniveling old man like, what I, what I want goes. You know, I mean, think about if they wrap it up Daniel Bryan right when people were loving him. You know, I understand the injury would have happened anyways, but. He had the most potential to to be the generation's Hulk Hogan, if you will, way more than John Cena, you know. And uh, this is another thing. It's like now Becky's heel, she's babyface. Maybe something will happen. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure Becky kind of she 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 wandered the line more so towards heel. Maybe I'm over exaggerating, Chris. How do you feel about this match? And how do you feel about the scenario getting built up between this feud between Charlotte and Becky? I mean, they did exactly what we wanted them to do or what I wanted them to do with the finish of the match, which is Becky have the match won and Charlotte fuck it up for her and win the match. But I expected it to be Becky being upset at Charlotte or attacking her within reason and the fans getting behind it. I thought that's all it needed to be. She did need a promo, and then I expected Charlotte to be the heel. And then they just have Charlotte be Charlotte because Charlotte is naturally a heel because she is a flair. She can always just fall back on being Ric Flair's daughter and and being a heel. And they did the exact opposite (laughs) and turned Becky heel, which I could have been fine with if if you switched the roles. Like if Charlotte had the match one with a figure four and you had Becky – you know, say she's got her in the figure eight and you have Becky grab her arm – and submit Charlotte before Charlotte could, because that would reverse the figure four, right? Because if the figure four gets flipped upside down, now you have a disarmor into a reverse figure four. 
Charlotte taps, and then you could have either built another match, which would have been controversial, obviously, because Carmella could say that she made her tap, etc. But then you could have built, you know, Becky as a heel if you wanted to go that route. But right now, the fans thought that Becky got screwed because she had the match won. Charlotte hit her with the natural selection, which was, I think, how I even talked about it on the podcast, the, the same exact finish. But instead of doing what I did, they were like, no, Becky's a heel now. <laughs> and I'm like, that makes no fucking sense, but okay. <laughs> I don't even think she believed because, it. I really don't. Ugh. Because she's the one that got screwed, right? Or didn't get screwed, but yeah. she's the one that got beat by her best friend. She has the most... I mean, she has to feel like Charlotte took advantage of her a little bit, right? This, this, so this so much like Sasha kept on fucking over Bailey. Bailey snapped, said, you ain't shit, bitch. And then they went to counseling. But instead, we got the biggest baby face. One of the biggest baby faces in the company that's been working her ass off to build where she is. That's been, that hasn't been a champion however long. This, is, this absolutely makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Stupid. <laughs> It's their reluctancy to actually book a female heel. The only one they've really had. I mean, besides Alexa Bliss, the only one they've had is Charlotte Flair. Recently, if you really think about it, those are the only two female heels they've had. I guess you can call Nia Jax a heel, but they even tried to make her very sympathetic. It's okay like to have women wrestlers who are bad guys, because at the end of the day, it is wrestling. And I get you're doing the women's revolution thing, but they can't all be good guys because then who, why do you care about the match other than it's just a spectacle? And if it's just a spectacle and the names aren't like Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Hulk Hogan or something, people aren't going to care about it as much as like a match that has a good story going into it. Like why do we want to watch Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn? Well, because they were best friends and Kevin Owens tried to break his back on the apron in NXT. Like give fans a reason to watch the match. Like, why do you want to see Kenny Omega versus Okada? Well, because Kenny Omega hasn't been able to get the title, no matter what he what he's doing. Even if you were going to do something with Becky Lynch, you could have built her into a sympathetic baby face where she just couldn't get over the top. No matter what she did, every time she faced Charlotte, she somehow lost. You could have done something very similar. It's just the matches needed to mean something. They had to be important. And instead, they give you what they give you and have Becky cut a very uncharacteristic promo and then uh, not really follow up on it with any kind of heel move. So now you're just like, I will, I have, I basically have a Randy Orton where I I don't know where this person really stands. (laughs) Yep. Well, we'll have to find out where they're going, but I think this is a pretty horrible decision. Um, What are you going to do? That's uh, WWE. You win some, you lose some. I will say the next two matches made me much happier. Well, actually, that that didn't make me angry. It was what happened on uh, SmackDown that did. But either way, WWE Championship match. Samoa Joe defeated AJ Styles via disqualification. Uh, They had one hell of a match. These guys hit the shit out of each other, especially their kicks towards each other's legs, taking them out. Uh, there was an awesome part where uh, AJ was on the apron. He was running towards Samoa Joe, and Samoa Joe just, like, completely annihilated his legs outside of him. AJ, of course, amazing at selling. At the beginning of it, Coachman decided to be an awesome fucking uh, 
commentator and say something about AJ's wife and child were in the audience right before Samoa Joe gets on the mic and says, Hey AJ, I know that you wanted your wife, uh, no one to know about your family being here, but Wendy, blah, 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 blah. He's got to be the worst fucking commentator on the, on the face of the earth. I swear to God on Monday night raw, Baron Corbin was wrestling and they were talking about how much he weighs. And then coach says, man, the way that he moves and how slick he is in the ring, he could be on two Oh five live. Like, you're such a fucking idiot, dude. Like, oh, my God. He even called out when Ronda Rousey was calling spots in the ring and she was doing it way too loud. Coachman goes, wow, that's amazing. She's telling Alexa what she's going to do to her next. I hate you. I hope Renee fucking just go away. Just go back to fucking ESPN. I'm done with it. Either way, getting back to the match. Sorry for the rant. I had to say that. Um, It was a good match back and forth. At the end of it, basically, it ended with, uh, Samoa Joe smashing AJ into the stairs head first. Uh, him actually getting busted open from it, which really added to the ending really well. Uh, getting on top of the announcer's table, getting the mic and saying, hey, Wendy, I told you that, you know, your daddy was coming home tonight, but he isn't. I'm going to be your daddy. And AJ Styles charged like a motherfucker at, at Joe, completely going, smashing over a barricade. And... um or into the um, the announcing area and uh, just beating the shit out of him with chairs. I love Fit Finley, how he like ripped AJ Style off of him. Like that man still has old man strength, like it's nothing. And then AJ went and smacked him again with a chair. He grabs a chair out of AJ's hands. AJ goes up to his wife and uh, daughter, um, and his his daughter instead of saying something like, you know, that's that, that's really iffy because what if she was like, why are you and Uncle Joe fighting? You know, she didn't. She actually was like, you know, like. Daddy, you're bleeding. And he's like, that's okay, honey. He tries to hold her, and she got kind of freaked out from it. You know, not the best thing for the whole child thing. I'm not going to go into that. But visually, cinematically, very, very good. Kind of reminded me of, of uh, well, I don't think that Ric Flair ever called out Steamboat, but I know that Shawn Michaels used to, like, you know, piss off. Uh, is it Deborah? Is that is one who was married to the British Bulldog? You know, do, really say some stuff and you know, to get heat basically and, and, and uh, piss off the British Bulldog. I, I enjoyed it. I'm glad this feud's going to extend. I hope eventually Samoa gets a title at least for a little while. How do you feel, Chris? I like the match. I thought they did a good job of building it back up. Obviously, they felt a little different than me as far as wanting to extend the feud a little bit. So I, I'm still going to go on a limb and say Samoa is going to end up with the title. And I thought, you know, he pushed, obviously, he pushed uh, AJ to his limits with the kids. And uh, I think Samoa, Samoa Joe played his, his role really well in this feud and still is, um, if we're talking about like what he was able to accomplish on SmackDown. But I, I agree with you. Coach has not been the best at commentary thus far. Maybe there's a reason why he wasn't on commentary the first time he was there. I thought he was fine on uh, Sports Center and stuff, so I'm a little surprised on how bad he is. But, um, yeah, there's been a couple of spots there that are very reminiscent of when Bobby the Brain, you know, asked people whose side Hulk Hogan was on when he came out to make the save before tournament turning, you know, becoming part of the NWO, basically burying the angle. There's been a few uh, coach moments that are similar, obviously not as bad because it's one of the biggest of all time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's been some, some bad stuff like that. So I, I agree with you there. 
it's just he's bad. Thank God Corey's on his ass most of the damn times because he can reverse the stupid shit that he says. But either way, we had another grudge match, if you will. So the whole entire concept of this match is that Dan O'Brien has wanted to punch Miz in the face. And this has been a built-up concept going all the way back from him being involved with Tough Enough and getting coached by the Miz. And they've had this great rivalry that a little bit actually stemmed into reality, uh, causing the confrontation that they had on SmackDown Live going back and forth, where Miz kind of blew up on him. I think I, I'm pretty sure Daniel wasn't really being serious. I think he called him pathetic and horrible. In the I don't remember exactly. But this has been building and building and building. Um, they had a good match. Uh, you know, you got to see Daniel Bryan finally get back at the Miz for all the moves that he stole from his surfboard stretch. He did right after the Miz got it on him. He got his kicks laid into him. He was smacking the shit out of the Miz, punching him in the face. And at the end of it, basically, uh, you know, Daniel Bryan was in the ring, kind of out of it. Miz ran out of the ring, came up to Maurice. There was a great spot where Daniel, I think came up and did a drop kick the Miz over by where Maurice and Maurice is like, leave him alone. Stop it, you evil per- Just just so French-Canadian. Um, but anyways, Miz came out, grabbed something from her, went back, punched Miz, or punched uh, Daniel Bryan in the face, pinned him, went out, gave whatever it was. There's brass knuckles, basically. Very old school. It's going to extend this feud. My only problem is you should have fucking done this immediately because I will say that it depends on the audience because Daniel definitely got a huge pop at the beginning of SmackDown when they set up Brie Bella and him versus Maurice and The Miz for Hell in the Cell, which will probably be an entertaining match. This feud's going on. But I feel like Daniel Bryan, because of the big casting and obviously because of all the time that he was hurt, he's kind of lost a lot of steam. I feel like the audience wasn't as into that match as I think they should have been. Either way, thought it was an awesome match. I love the whole story being told, and I love the heel ending with the brass knuckles. It's not done much. Um, how did you feel about it, Chris? I agree with a lot of the points you made. I love Maurice when she's with the Miz. I think that they are a really good uh, heel and manager combo, one that we haven't seen in a while as far as just having that to go back and off, uh, back and forward with. Even, even if you just don't even think about it as her being a female manager, just being a manager in general, I would say she's been one of the better managers we've seen in a long time as far as WWF goes. Uh, obviously not as much of a promo as Paul Heyman, but as far as um, her and The Miz working off each other specifically within matches, I think it has been really, really good. Uh, I enjoyed the match. I agree with you with it probably not being as over as it would have been if they would have just done this at Mania. Uh, especially with Daniel... Daniel Bryan coming back, I think that if you were going to work that out, it would have been better than the Shane McMahon thing. And then also, you know, him, Bryan working with Corbin and some of the other stuff he's done, I don't think have really put him in a spot to succeed. Obviously, he's still over because he's Daniel Bryan, but he needs to be up at the top with Samoa Joe and with AJ. And, and there's been some announcements of what did, I don't know if this was on SmackDown or not, or if we're even going to get to talk about it, but yeah, him and Daniel or Miz and Daniel Bryan are going to be feuding for a title shot. Basically is what I read. Oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. 
So they would, I would assume that there's going to be a number one contenders match. There was some stuff floating around out there that made that seem to be a thing, that there was going to be a match booked where it would be for a title match. So they didn't specify whether it was U.S. or heavyweight, but considering it's Daniel Bryan, I would assume it's, uh, it's going to be for the heavyweight title, which if that's the case, then this is going to be a series of matches that would, that would make a lot more sense with how they're doing it. But, uh, yeah, I think there's going to, like, it was announced for Super Showdown. Uh, in Australia. I, did, I didn't know that match was announced, but I'm sure it was. That sounds awesome, though. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm assuming the Miz did that. But. Yeah, it was reported for by F4W, so credible source, generally speaking, with, uh, you know, Meltzer and, and Alvarez at the helm. And then they were saying that there's also going to be a mixed tag match set for Hell in a Cell, which is September 16th, and then October 6th is the is the thing in Australia. So I'm assuming this feud is carrying out for a little bit, at least the next two months. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what feud's not carrying out, Chris? Uh, Finn Balor and uh, Constable Corbin. Because Finn Balor came out as a demon and destroyed Corbin like it was nothing. And then the next night, this motherfucker, who has some awesome moves, but basically is Biff Tannen mixed with Keanu Reeves in the fucking 90s, early 90s, um, starts going, no, I had a match with human Finn Balor, not the demon. And, like, was actually, like, that was his excuse. Um, the whole mystics of it, just, just it's ridiculous, but it was fun. Finn looked awesome as the demon. I love seeing that picture of him in the Enigma, Jeff Hardy. That was a really, really cool visual. Very much, if Jeff were to ever, you know, put up the boots, I think that would be a money match, or just a money feud in general. Um, people like face paint and makeup, Vince. I'm sorry that you don't most of the time. Uh, but either way, that match, I'm going to go into, you know, leading that to you, and also the U.S. match. Shinsuke Nakamura defeated Jeff Hardy. Why the fuck did Jeff Hardy do a swan time bomb to the apron? His back is messed up, and then the next night, uh, or, or two nights later on SmackDown, he takes out Randy Orton, I guess fizzled out their feud. I know that there was a DQ, but then takes him, puts him on the table, and then does a swanton through the damn table on top. Like, my God, man. Like, that's just not – legitimately has a bad back injury. Uh, does not do the swanton bomb anymore during house shows. Either way, Chris, how'd you feel about the Finn Balor beatdown against Constable Corbin, now GM Corbin, because, like, Kurt's going on a vacation, and then the U.S. match between Shinsuke defeating Jeff Hardy and Randy coming to the ring and then going back and then getting his ass kicked on SmackDown? A lot of uh, I was fine. I was fine with Balor getting the win. I think with the way that they're building the shield on Raw, which – I guess we'll probably talk about more in the coming weeks that Finn will probably want to be one of the guys involved in that. So I'm okay with Balor getting just a straight one against Corbin. Um, I'm, it's going to be interesting to see what, what they, how that shakes out with Corbin being the GM. I would assume that Balor is going to be getting fed to some other wrestlers um, in the, in the coming weeks uh, with hopefully him coming out on top, maybe embracing the demon. As far as the uh, Nakamura-Jeff Hardy match, I thought it was fine for what it was. It wasn't anything great. Um, it was weird to see Jeff Hardy doing so many spots, but then again, it's Jeff Hardy. He's also the guy that wrestled three nights in a row before, or two nights in a row before WrestleMania and still leapt off a 20-foot tall ladder into two other ladders onto 
on to Sheamus, so I'm not super surprised. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. It, it is a little weird to see him taking those uh, those spots. And then you asked, did you ask about the women's championship match? Because if so, I, I may have missed it. That's the next one I was about to go into. Uh, Natalia came out, got a standing ovation, wearing her dad's uh, jacket, Jim Neidhart's jacket from uh, 1990 SummerSlam. Uh, and then they, the Ronda came out with Alexa being the champion for the Raw Women's Championship match. Uh, Rousey easily destroyed Bliss. Uh, so she's double-jointed, and everyone forgets every couple months. They were able to do a really cool spot where they made it look like she popped her uh, you know, arm out of socket. Uh, I mean, a lot of the complaints from people was the fact that, he looked, that Ronda looked like Nightman from uh, Always Sunny, which I thought was pretty funny. Who cares? And also that she was acting goofy in the ring and calling out her spots too loud. She's get she's new. She's getting better. Her ragdolling kind of scares me sometimes. It's even Stephanie, man, it's like, geez, she just whips them around. She's got a lot of strength, but uh, she got the championship belt, and she really looked like she was genuinely happy. Very similar to Kari Sane and um, Ricochet when she got the belt. Uh, we got one more match after that, but what did you think about the women's match for the Raw title? I thought it was fine for what it was. I, it's exactly what I expected, which was Ronda just getting a, a good victory, a good strong win against Alexa and becoming the champion, setting up for the female pay-per-view. Uh, the end of the match with kind of her celebrating her husband with her husband, Natalia being there, and then just the Bella twins for no reason uh, was a little odd. But outside of that, you know, I was a little bit fine. And, and yes, a lot of people did have a lot of fun with Rouse's uh, makeup on Twitter, but if I was going to say anything, it it was more, I think it was pointed more towards someone like Bull Meccano or, uh, you know, Luna Vachon and what they used to do in wrestling than it was like Nightman or some of those characters. She was going for more of <laughs> well, an over-the-top wrestling look. Well, apparently in interviews she said that She's she always wanted to be able to do makeup in the UFC and obviously they wouldn't let her so she was kind of expressing herself that way. That would be cool if she did get some inspiration by those ladies. All right, last match, Universal Championship match. Roman Reigns defeated Brock Lesnar. Fucking finally! I thought they bat- booked this match pretty well. Um, before the match, Braun Strowman came out and announced he was cashing in his Money in the Bank briefcase against the winner. Um, he said that he wasn't going to do it behind their backs, but he still waited for the end of the match when both guys were weak to take on whoever the fuck else. But either way, what are you going to do? Um, and uh, he waited there when Brock – he called, what did he call Lester? He, he called him Beastie Boy. That was pretty funny. Uh, during the match, Lester turned around to get three Superman punches and two spears right off the bat. Uh, he finally came back after we thought that Roman Reigns was going to beat him that easily. And then um, he went out – he moved out of the way of a spear. The spear went outside to Braun Strowman, taking him down. Uh, Brock put Roman back in the ring, went F5'd Braun, and then chucked his briefcase and actually broke the top part of the ramp. I don't know how he did that, but apparently he did. Uh, like, chucked at something and completely broke the shit out of it. He's lucky he didn't nail someone in the face. Just let that crutch during Johnny Gargano and Ciampa's match when it went in the audience. That was scary. Either way, uh, you know, took out, took a chair and also the briefcase before he threw it, beat the shit out of Braun Strowman, won the ring, got speared, one, two, three, Roman wins. Braun's laid out. They obviously made it that, you know, he wasn't going to do anything, and they basically went, you know, when there was a good reaction from the crowd and just cut it. Apparently there was a lot of booing afterwards. 
Um, but yeah, one thing I would have put in just just a little note. If you know, if you're gonna take out Braun Strowman instead of with a spear, spear him, and then maybe give him a jackhammer. I mean, a little reminiscent of Goldberg. That's the last time he was beaten. It would have been something fun to throw in there. A little nod, I think. And I'm sorry, but one thing that I think holds Roman back is his move arsenal. Anyways, Chris, how'd you feel about this match? I know you weren't that big of a fan. No, I thought the match was terrible. And if your very next night you were just going to put the shield back together, then why the fuck didn't you just do it here and have that be the finish? Like, just have the shield destroyed, Brock. I don't understand the reasoning of having the match be as wonky as it is if the very next night the Shield's going to be back together protecting Roman from Brock, which is essentially what happened the, the very next night. So, yeah, I fucking I thought the match was fine for what it was. Brock basically got screwed, so now you're going to get a setup where Brock is going to come back at some point and get a title shot, and then you also get you know, Braun getting screwed the very next night. So is Roman a heel now? That is the question. And I think that's the question that we'll be going into and getting more answers from next week. Chills back together. Are you really telling me that this guy this whole entire time that you felt as a baby face, you're going to turn him heel? Or your actual big baby face and your returning baby face that everyone likes, you're going to turn them heel? And if not, you're making them go against Braun Strowman, your biggest baby face. I I don't know. Maybe they'll be tweeners. I have all I know is that we got 90 seconds left. I thought we had a great show. We'll talk more about the Shield next week and more wrestling news. Chris, do you want to say anything, um, you know, inspiring to the people out there? No, I just thought it was a you know great overall weekend of wrestling. Obviously, I had some things that I bitched about, but I still enjoyed all of it. So uh, you guys keep watching wrestling, keep enjoying it, keep listening to us live. You can. Check me out at, at Chris R. Patton on Twitter, and uh, y'all have a great rest of the And you can check me out at Dane Alves on Facebook. And remember, Geek Vibes Nation, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's the best stuff in Wrestling Inc. Alliance every Wednesday, 7 o'clock. You guys have a wonderful evening. That's all I got. And that's the bottom line. Just go, go, set, go. Peace out. Let the Geek Vibes be with you. <laughs>